Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Ben McCallery is my name. And welcome to Season 4, Episode 4. We're halfway through the season are. already. We are. Wow. Four squared. Four over four. Uh, yep. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yep. Uh, in today's uh, episode, well, the first half of today's episode, you talk with Lauren. I do. About slow living in your mid-twenties. <laughs> really wanted to do that. Well, there you go. Bucket list ticked. ticked. It is the, It is a really interesting conversation, actually. So Lauren wrote to me and asked a question I think that has been asked sort of in a roundabout way before, but I love the way that she prefaced it. Essentially, slow living is spoken about and written about by people who are probably more established in life, you know, in terms of, <laughs> yeah. well, but Agreed. also more burnt out and more like, you know, weighed yeah. down by. What I call the big, the big bees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are the big bees? They're, bur- they're burdened by debt. They're, um, I've got nothing. I was burnt gonna, out. Burnt, burnt out, yeah. that's right. Burden. They have big boobs. And big borgages. Oh, my God. <laughs> At least two of those things are true. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So, anyway. We can resurrect this. Let's on. do it. Let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. Let's bring it together. Yeah. But it is true. So, a lot of people who write, they're like ourselves, you know, in their mid-30s, late 30s and beyond. And Lauren was curious about whether it is actually possible to live a slower life yeah. in your mid-20s when you're just beginning your career and the expectation is that you hustle. Mm. The expectation is mm. that you do the long hours and you put your hand up for the extra So you basically projects. got to burn out. You've got to have like this this light bulb moment before you can well, move to slow living. Well, that's her question. Which is totally false. I think I think it is. Yeah. But I, I also it, it really gave me pause to think that these are the stories that people who graduate from university Mm-hmm. who are beginning those first five years of their career, whether they go to university or not, are they're the stories they're hearing. Mm. That in order to be successful, you kind of got to burn the candle at both ends. And I think that that's true. I think that they are the stories that are being told. And one of the things that Lauren asked me was, I feel like as someone in their mid-20s, I don't deserve to slow down yeah, yet yeah, okay. because I haven't done the hustle. Yeah. And that really made me quite sad. So this conversation is very specifically focused on work and um, the things Lauren wanted to know, what are the things that she can do now, put in place now, that means she's able to build an intentional life and an intentional career mm. without having to course correct later, you know, and also the, the things that she should be prioritising and focusing on now to set herself up for that intentional life. Very good. I mean, it's it's juicy. It's yeah. a really, really great topic. Great topic. Great question. And Lauren is way, way ahead of where I was in my mid twenties. I don't think I've said it before, but I was not not switched on at all in my mid twenties, early to mid twenties. I'm like reactionary. Well, you were switched on enough to to know me. That's true. I yeah. made one good decision. <laughs> but I was so reactionary. There was very little intention in the way that I was living in my mid twenties. So. Already the fact that she's asking these questions and thinking thinking about this to me says that she's already living intentionally and perhaps the, the deeper question is does it look like she thinks it should? Mm. 
And that's really where we, we go in our conversation as well. What is slow living? What do you think it should look like for you? If you removed all the expectations of what you think it should look like based on what other people are doing. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. It's, it's definitely focused on people in their mid twenties, but I feel like so many of the questions that Lauren is asking and so many of the things that we dig into are relevant across the board. So enjoy. Lauren, hello. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Obviously, the ideas behind slow living have positive applications for a lot of people, possibly for most people. Um, But so often, as you said in your email to me, it's written about from the perspective of people maybe in their 30s and 40s. And you wrote in and asked about slow living in your 20s um, and had a couple of really specific and really kind of insightful questions that I really want to dig into. So the first part of your email focused on how, as you wrote, how to build the right foundations for a slow life from the beginning of your career rather than course correcting later. And can I just say to you straight up that you are so far ahead in the game. (laughs) If you're asking these questions, I just want to congratulate you for being intentional enough to, to even be thinking about this because it means that you are putting yourself in such a great position to make decisions mindfully. And I think that's awesome. So well done. Oh, thank you. Um, Now, is this something that you are specifically thinking about in terms of your career or is it more generally your life? I think it's both. I think in in your 20s, there is this pressure for your career to kind of be everything. Uh, You're supposed to be putting in this work now to set yourself up for later. But I'm definitely trying to also think about other areas of my life at the same time so I don't want to fall into that trap where you know I spend all my energy on my career and not other things um so it's both but I'd say job is probably the main one yeah and that makes a huge amount of sense I mean given your age and where you're at in your career to to put Mm. as you sort of say lay the foundations now Mm. is a wonderful opportunity to lay them in a way that you'll be happy you have done in future years so I mean I think It's really important to start to think about what career success looks like for you. Mm. I mean, what uh, expectations you have of yourself and sort of start to to separate out what of those expectations are yours and that are actually, you know, aligned to your personal values Mm. and then what expectations and, um, you know, visions of success are maybe society's idea of success. Have you given any thought to how you would define success in your career? I do want to do something that is kind of, I don't like this word, but kind of worthwhile or it does kind of contribute to the world. Um, but I think that can be in a lot of different ways. I'm learning that a lot of different things outside of the traditional kind of helping careers can do that as well. Yes. Yeah. Which is a really helpful realisation to make now, mm. you know, as you're starting to ask those questions. In terms of specific things that you can start to do, uh, that will lay the foundation no matter how much you change over the mm. coming years. One of the things, I've been thinking deeply on this, and I don't know if this is an answer that you're going to expect, but one of the things that I really wish I had have been able to develop in my mid-20s was really solid self-confidence mm. and to learn how to become an advocate and a cheerleader for myself because I think that I would have made decisions differently and I would have perhaps come to realisations more readily if I believed in myself. I mean, do you feel like you have a, a strong sense of self-confidence or self-esteem? I do in terms of my actions. Like I will 
do things that I know are in my best interest, but then I will doubt myself at the same time. I think externally, mm-hmm. like what I am able to do those things, but then internally I tend to worry about it afterwards. Have you ever done an exercise or where you sort of thought five or ten years into the future and sketched out what a day would look like or what, not mm. what would it look like, what would, it would feel like? Mm. Because maybe it's focusing on how something would feel rather than how it would look in the specifics. Mm. Yeah. That would be helpful. Yeah, I've never tried that, but it sounds like it'd be really good. Yeah, and I think the idea of focusing on the feeling might be helpful because I know I used, I had done an exercise like this, you know, sketch out your ideal day, and I got so bogged down in the routine that I should, yeah. that I should be following in, you know, 10 years' time that it took away the magic and it took away the imagination and, and the feeling of it because by the end I what I felt was overwhelmed. So mm. it didn't feel like something I wanted to work towards, but... I wonder if, yeah, sitting down and asking yourself, what do I want life to feel like, um, might might give you that shape without giving you the, you know, the walls to go with it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And like trying to, for me, I think it's trying to separate, if I'm doing something like that, the, the shoulds and the expectations will st- still creep in. Like, yes. oh, you know, oh, but, uh, you know, it should look like this. So trying yes. to kind of stay true to what I think even when even to myself it sounds weird but sometimes it's quite hard to know which kind of thought pattern or whatever is wants what's best for you not like all the other different thoughts what about this what about that (laughs) perhaps you could sort of brain dump this 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 uh you know idea of what you want life to feel like in 10 years and then look at it with a really kind of clear eye and start to cross out or highlight the ones that aren't actually your words, ones that you mm. put down because you thought you should. Mm. And, uh, and that might also help to sort of narrow in or define what it is that, that you're looking to, to head towards while also being aware that, yes, there are other inputs into your life and, yes, you do pay attention to them whether you want to or not. Sometimes we absorb them mm. when we don't want to. Um, so that might be an interesting thing to do the other thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking about our conversation was I mean if you think we're thinking let's say 10 years in in the future just as a number go back to who you were 10 years ago oh yeah and see how much you have learned <coughs> you yeah know, and to, to to really compare that and um <coughs> you know dip into what you wish you had known maybe as a 15-year-old or what you wish yourself now could tell yourself 10 years ago. Mm. And I think that what that shows is that you have, you've grown so much. I mean, we tend to grow so quickly and so slowly at the same time that we don't necessarily give ourselves uh, the opportunity to say, yeah, I've learned stuff and, yeah, I know things and, you know, my, my experience is my own kind of wisdom. So to be able to go back as well might just give you a bit of confidence that, you've made good decisions mm. and you do make good decisions and that's something that, that 10 years ago you would be really proud of and really bowled over by. So um, with, is that something that would, would interest you to do? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I, so I recently graduated from uni a few years ago and I recently went back to not just my uni town but I actually went back to the campus um, and I was sitting in kind of the campus coffee shop and I was thinking about what my self then would think of my life now 
But it's yeah. even more interesting to go even further back. Yeah, I think that might be a really interesting thing for you to do, like pair those two exercises together and just be curious, you know, see what see what comes of it um, would be really interesting. Now, the second thing, the second part of your email that I wanted to, to talk about was where you asked what things um, might you prioritise and think mm. about and focus on now to set yourself up for an intentional life. life. Um, and I love that you use the word intentional as opposed to slow because mm. I think the word slow, again, I, I love it, obviously. It's something that kind of captures people's attention, but it also feels a lot like um, a should mm. for people, I think, particularly at the stage that you're in in life. The idea of slow can actually feel counter to not only the pressures that you feel to to perform in your career, the desires to perform in your career at this point in time when things are relatively uncomplicated um, and you can kind of build these habits. Have you ever worked out your personal values? Have you sat down and done an exercise to to kind of uncover those? I think I have like a sense of what they are, but I haven't really kind of put words to it. Okay. Um, There is an exercise that I will send to you that essentially walks you through identifying maybe five or six core Mm. personal values Mm. and I find it a really useful exercise to do because these things are fluid and they can 100% change over life it's really helpful to have them as this touchstone to to kind of come back into contact with when we're making decisions and when we're um, you know really questioning which fork in the road to take or um, which opportunity to say yes or no to you're not always going to live in alignment with your values, particularly not all of them all the time. I mean, I think that's another thing that can start to feel really constraining for people. But on the whole, it's really great to have an idea of what those values are because if we're thinking career-wise, there's this sort of spark, this vitality, this this energy or rightness that comes when you are doing something in alignment with your values, at least some of your values. And that can often get you through a period that is challenging or stressful even because you know that there is a deeper reason to it, um, if that makes sense. So mm. I definitely recommend I'm giving you heaps of homework. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I think it sounds like even if you don't necessarily have a word for some of the values, you're, you're definitely working in alignment with some of them, um, you know, just judging by what you said about the line of work that you're in, which is in health and, Mm. you know, wanting to help people. And I mean, I think that's probably why you've been called to to that line of work, but it'd be interesting to see what your other values are. Mm. If you look at, you know, how you, perhaps you're kind of reaching a point where the specific jobs and roles that you thought you would be pursuing aren't fulfilling some of the other values. And maybe Mm. that's where the disconnect is. So you know that you want to help people what else do you need in order to kind of feel fulfilled or aligned in your life? And what is it about those jobs that aren't hitting them? Um, yeah. And then it gives you the opportunity to kind of cast your net a little wider and see, see what yeah, that's like. That definitely makes sense. And I think in terms of like experiment, like viewing things as an experiment, a lot of the times I'm like, now I know I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want this. It's a lot of focusing on what I don't want. And actually having something, I think it is about having something to aim for because I think or when you feel like actually the typical markers of success aren't for you, then there's that confusion of what do I aim for now? 
Yes. And I think having something to aim for rather than being like moving away from something would actually be more helpful. Yeah, and that that's actually a really important distinction to make, isn't it? You know, a lot of what you're talking about is what you don't want or, you know, these feelings of I no longer want this or this this version of success does not speak to me. That's great to know, but it's not giving you somewhere to aim. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe that's where that first exercise where you get to envisage what life might feel like in 10 years could be really helpful. Mm. Again, not because it, it may not be word perfect to what life feels like in 10 years, but it gives you that, mm. that thing to look out for. Again, when I was thinking about a conversation, there might be a couple of, of habits or, um, you know, ideas that you could put into play now. Mm. And you may already have, have done that, but things that I speak to so many people who wish they, like, like you said, they're course correcting now in their thirties yeah. and forties. <clears throat> so one of those big ones is boundaries, is developing really healthy boundaries and understanding what you as an individual need those boundaries to be and then developing the confidence to defend them <laughs> mm. because no one else will do it for you. So how do you feel about, um, you know, your boundaries around um, email, for example, with work? Yeah, I'm fairly good at that in terms of okay. not wanting to like I won't check my email I'm not at work and I won't you know I try to leave on time and I try to take my lunch break so I do try and have quite strict boundaries around the working day but I guess Mm -hmm. again maybe this similar idea to before in that I will do it but then it will maybe seep in internally or mentally so I have those physical boundaries but then I might be thinking about it or uh, taking things home with me um yeah yeah out of concern that you're being too strong on those boundaries there is an expectation at this point in your career that you're very very accommodating and that it seems to be the people that are the most accommodating that are the ones who kind of progress more um and that maybe this kind of thing is more respected when you're kind of a bit further ahead in your career but to start out like this is seen as a bit kind of entitled or you know you're you're supposed to be kind of very very flexible and um accommodating which is I mean deeply unfair because I imagine that if you spoke to colleagues who are older and are struggling with their boundaries I mean I bet that they would in a number a significant number of cases wish that they had developed those boundaries earlier you know, so I, I think that you're, you're probably right that those expectations do exist, um, but you are 100% allowed to create and develop those boundaries because when you turn up, you turn up, you know, you are engaged and you ha- you've developed a really strong and impressive work ethic that will um, hold you in really good stead going forward, even if you occasionally come across someone who gets put out of gets their nose put out of joint because you've decided that actually I'm going home and actually I'm not Mm. working at home. You know, so I think that provided those boundaries are paired with a really solid work ethic, uh, I don't think that they will damage your your prospects Mm. very often. Um, And I think also as the conversation around developing better uh, or healthier work habits progresses, and I think it is progressing, um, 
what you're doing will be will be seen to to be like a healthy decision rather Mm. than an entitled one or something of you know someone in their 20s who hasn't earned it um so I mean I'd I'd really recommend that you stick with those boundaries (laughs) don't don't let that voice inside your head tell you that you you should relent because it's important I mean you will be better at your job you will be able to deliver far more fully in everything that you do if you're rested and if you're taking time for yourself and I think that that's something that will become much more mainstream over the coming years so stay strong yeah thank you (laughs) um do you find that you have any other areas that your boundaries perhaps need some bolstering yeah probably um I think I have a habit of with my free time almost like a FOMO kind of wanted to fill my free time with everything um and even when I'm not doing something even when it's you know external things that might look very you know I don't know going for a walk or doing art or something making it into a to-do list of let's get through these things rather than actually being present and enjoying it so I definitely have a habit of cluttering my time with every different hobby or activity so that becomes more of a like something you should you feel you should be doing rather than something you want to be doing yeah I think so like this weekend was the first weekend basically in the last few months that I've had like a day with no plans and I found it really difficult to not kind of set myself tasks to do even if they're fun you know supposedly fun to resist kind of being like and I'm gonna you know spring clean my room and now I'm gonna get all my autumn clothes out and da 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 and just actually just sit down what do you think drives that is it is it just a are you more comfortable when you're busy? Are you more comfortable, as you said, when you <clears throat> when you have shape and structure to your day? Do you think that might be it? Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. It's funny that I kind of put boundaries around work, but then I feel like I have to just then make up for it. I don't know, with other things, like being productive, yeah. even in my free time. So sort of that voice in your head, that, that voice that's sort of saying quietly to you, you should feel a bit guilty for leaving work on time or mm. for not answering emails on the weekend, is driving that that desire to, to be productive in every yeah. moment. Yeah, that's interesting. She needs to take a she needs to take a weekend, that voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I guess what if what if you experimented with the idea of sort of acknowledging that voice and saying you know I hear you I understand where you're coming from but I'm going to go over here and and have a weekend with no plans anyway and kind of give her a wave and and let her sit there and and um you know quietly chatter away I guess but Mm. just putting her in a box and not not a like not going there Mm. just for a day and seeing what what that does because I think sometimes even putting a face to it giving her a name whatever it is um and and also not trying to suppress that voice, hearing it, acknowledging it, and then moving on to do nothing, something, whatever it is that you want to do without that that pressure or that expectation or those shoulds from her. 
um, might be helpful as well. I mean, mm. my friend Kelly, we had a conversation on a podcast years ago where I spoke about like my this horrible voice in my head that would just say the nastiest, meanest things to me about me and she made me name her <laughs> and then yeah. she made me put her in a box and it was such a helpful thing to do because I acknowledged that she existed first of all and that that was something that I was able to pay attention to or not um, and also realised that that voice was causing me to make decisions that weren't in my best interest um, mm. and I think that was helpful, really, really helpful. Mm. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being busy and having things that you would like to do and having heaps of hobbies that like there's nothing wrong with that so if if the voice is talking at from a from a point of view of um I'm someone who would like to live a slow life and none of these things are slow and now I feel bad because I'm not living slow or if it's a voice kind of coming from a place of guilt and kind of making up for it um Mm. that's an important distinction as well do you do you find yourself um, ever feeling f- frustrated or hemmed in by the idea of living a slower life? I fell down this rabbit hole of kind of the self-care uh, idea of it being very much of like another to-do list item. So I had to do 10 different things in a day in order to practice self-care. Um, yeah. But I wasn't really present in enjoying them. It was more like things to get through. Yeah, I think that that is something that happens a lot. And I think that these ideas that were initially designed to help people become like this stick that we carry around and (laughs) measure ourselves with and beat ourselves up with at the same time. And I I mean, that's something that I think it's it's good that you're aware um, has happened before, because hopefully that means that these ideas, you feel free and able to take on board what's going to work for you and let go of the things that won't and also not allow it to become this additional regimented to-do list that sort of sucks the joy and the the care and the kindness out of out of it exactly um so I wonder if on those those days where you know you feel compelled to fill them again there's nothing wrong with that so let go of the guilt if you want it if Mm. you want to do you know do three different things on one day on your day off go for it you know if it brings you joy and happiness and lights you up or it is aligned with your values then you know go for it but you did mention a couple of times this idea of being present and enjoying the thing that you're doing uh do you do any kind of mindfulness practice as a as a a habit not as a habit no I've Mm -hmm. done it but I find it so difficult, which I'm sure is not not just me, but it's so I find it so uncomfortable to just be for like ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> so what if instead of that, just sitting and being and like mm-hmm. breathing and kind of listening to the to the the noise and and kind of feeling everything? What if instead you made a, a habit of for five minutes every day, even if it's just a mundane task like commuting to work or, um, you know, sitting in the park during your lunch break having a sandwich, to, to just pay attention to something you had never noticed before in those five minutes? Um, you know, what, like, it could be literally anything. It could be the pattern on the carpet in the, you know, in the office. It could be 
the way the plaster's crumbling, you know, in <laughs> in in one of the buildings that you've walked through, it, it, the way the the flowers are just starting to change or the leaves are starting to turn, like anything that you hadn't noticed that day, just paying attention to it and again opening yourself up to being curious about it rather than it being a mindfulness practice where I have to sit and quieten myself and you know that can feel really overwhelming particularly mm. if you're someone who thinks a lot and is on the go a lot um I wonder if that might help in allowing you to develop the the habit and the the feeling of what it is to be fully present in a moment mm. so that then if you do spend your weekends doing really awesome things and you're busy that's okay because you're you're learning how to be engaged in those things and you don't then finish the day and think oh I did 17 things and I don't really feel like I experienced any of them fully yeah yeah that might be something that that helps as well yeah for me paying attention is a muscle you know it's something that gets stronger with practice uh, and easy and more enjoyable I'll say not necessarily easier but more enjoyable yeah I think it's really funny because as you were talking I kind of just realized that I've even put shoulds around like mindfulness yeah you know it has to be like on a pillow and like serene I don't know setting and there's a candle like (laughs) and like even I think what you said earlier about kind of slow living now almost having its own it's easy to internalize these and the new shoulds so trying to not just replace one set of shoulds with a new set of shoulds and actually doing what's better for you. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it's it's. I get it. I went through the whole process as well of, of discovering slow living and falling in love with the changes that it can bring and the really positive shifts and then comparing myself to everyone else in the slow living space and think, but my house doesn't look like theirs or I can't meditate for an hour every day or I can't do a backbend in yoga or I, I don't grow all my own food or whatever it was that I was measuring myself with. Um, it became this new standard, this new success. And I think it's really important to recognize that and to mm. kind of stay, take a step back and you can cherry pick things from like the idea of slow living or from self-care that work for you. And let the other stuff go because that's for someone else, you know, Mm. that's someone else's idea of what it it should look like. And it's, yeah, we're we're really good at kind of making boxes, I think, out of these things that should be, that should be, that that can be um, really freeing. But, yeah, particularly when it's a movement, particularly in this era of everything being on social media, it's very easy to come up with an image of what it should look like and feel Mm. like that's how it's done right. Yeah. But the way it's done right is if it brings freedom to you yeah I was just thinking that actually I wonder if I didn't because I, I sometimes will do like kind of it I won't go on Instagram for a while but then I'll still be taking on all this other media so actually I'm thinking if I just didn't for like I don't know a month didn't like look at anyone else's idea of whatever the the movement is whether it's slow living or whatever what would I then think how would I define it like if yeah I wasn't um having other people's ideas accessible to me all the time. That's a really, really good exercise. And I'd be really curious to see what you, what you, how you defined it if you mm. took that time away. Um, because that was actually kind of the final um, habit or idea that I wanted to bring to you about just life in general in your mid-20s would be to very 
carefully consider what inputs you allow in mm. to your life via social media, you know, mainstream media, the things you read, the things you listen to, all of it, because it does, it can absolutely enrich your life, but it also can create these boxes within which we feel like we should be living. So, um, you know, understand that when you allow things into your life, they do start to create shape around things and whether or not that's in keeping with, with what's going to work for you is a really important question. So that's interesting that you kind of, you, you came to that realization. Mm. So yeah, that would be really, really fascinating. Um, okay. So I want to say thank you for being so honest and sharing so openly with me. This has been such a great conversation. And um, I know I said at the beginning, but you're, you're really off to such a cracking, not start, but you're just mm. doing so well to be so aware and so curious and so um, intentional with what you're doing. You're going to be great. <laughs> you're going to do great. Um, and I'll be really interested to, to check back in with you in a couple of months and see how those exercises went and to see if they they made an impact. So there's still some juicy questions there to explore with the second half of this interview mm-hmm. with uh, the lovely Jocelyn Gly, friend of the show. Yeah. So Jocelyn is the host of Hurry Slowly, which is a podcast about, uh, I guess, the conventions of, of work and modern life mm. and how to live within those things while also adopting a slower, more intentional pace. Yep. Could not be more beautifully aligned, I don't think, with this conversation. So I knew that I wanted Jocelyn to come back and talk through my my chat with Lauren. So what I'm really interested in is, is it okay to make mistakes in your 20s? Well, I hope so. <laughs> but do you, do you know what I mean? In, in, it's almost like you, you feel free to explore a lot of different options, whether it's slow living or, or otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And, and really use that time, I guess, as an opportunity, that, that era of your life as an opportunity to experiment and, mm. and play around and be curious about what works for you. I know that Lauren was very concerned, I guess, about having made the not the wrong choice with her career. but oh, No, you don't want to not, say wrong or mistakes because no, no. yeah, they're not. They're not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone, you look back at what you used to think you would be oh. 20 years ago and yeah. the shift, you can't help but shift. It's very rare, I think, for someone to at 18 years old decide what they want to do if they want to study, what they're going to study, and then to go into that totally. that career and never, yep. never sway from yep. it. it. It's really rare and, and very unusual. So I think it's hard to acknowledge that while you're in it but that's really what Jocelyn and I speak about a lot too is the the fact that you're allowed to experiment and evolve and learn is kind of the key idea absolutely absolutely so head over to slowyourhome.com slash season four for the show notes to this episode um a shout out to Jocelyn's uh her podcast podcast hurry slowly so there'll be a link to that uh, which I think there is a new season launching if not this week then soon it's definitely worth listening to it's a fantastic fantastic show over to you and jocelyn enjoy jocelyn hello how are you great glad to be here i'm so so glad to chat with you again it's been a couple of years so thank you for um you know taking part in this season of the podcast which is a bit of a departure from what we've normally done yeah i'm really excited about the format it sounds fun let's get into my my chat with lauren because i think that you're going to have so much to offer her 
And I, I think that the best place to start maybe is that sense of overwhelm that comes from being in your mid-20s and being faced with so many options. Through your experience and your understanding, how can you learn to live intentionally amongst all of that? It's important to acknowledge that that there's so much pressure in that question. I mean, I think it's a great question to ask, but also it's a new question. You know, when I, I can't speak for you, but when I was in my twenties, like no one was talking about living intentionally, mm, you no know, <laughs> living or, or living intentionally was maybe like not going out, you know, and getting like drunk on a weeknight or something <laughs> like, you know, I think the bar is just being re- set really high by this kind of cultural conversation that's happening. So sort of a caveat there, but I think that being able to live intentionally really comes out of lived experience. And so I think that, um, you know, when you're in your twenties and you're just kind of, um, getting into your career, I really think that is a lot of pressure to put on yourself. This idea that you should somehow kind of know what to do before you've really done that much. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really challenging. I think your twenties is really a lot about, um, feeling okay with exploration and just being curious and knowing that you're going to make some mistakes and kind of being open to that and welcoming that because that's going to give you this kind of knowledge base and really, I think, help you weed out a lot of things that are kind of not the things that you want to do. To kind of give an example, in my late 20s, um, I had been working at a startup and I had kind of, you know, come to the end of, uh, you know, what I felt like I could learn there and I wanted to do something new. And um, I was kind of courted by the CEO of this um, online company. I was in New York. This company was out in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, he offered me kind of more money than I had ever made before. And he wanted me to kind of come out and help him, you know, reinvent this kind of music website. I was working a lot in the sort of publishing digital kind of cultural space at that time. Um, You know, and it sounded really exciting. And I went out there and I took the job and and I found in taking that job, it was a very kind of corporate structure. Um, once I got out there, I found out that everyone else on the team was not at all on board with the CEO's plan <laughs> of having me reinvent this brand. And so kind of my entire sort of brief for being there in the first place was um, you know, just not even really on the table is something that I could do. And it was painful and it, it really, you know, it really wasn't a great outcome, but because I, I identified that I was really uncomfortable there and it was really not the right environment for me, I only stayed in the job, I think about 10 months and then I moved on. But that was such a valuable piece of information to have, to know that I really didn't want to work in a corporate structure, that I was much more comfortable in an independent or sort of startup structure, um, to know that doing something with meaning where I had agency and autonomy was much more important than making more money. Um, you know, these were really, really powerful things to learn that have completely served me later in my career. And so I think you kind of have to know that you're going to be doing some of that weeding out, you know, early in your 20s. And, you know, it, it would be nice to think that, you know, you could just sort of know, you know, where you wanted to be 30 years from now. But I think that's just not realistic. And so you have to really explore and, and kind of be open to that learning. And I think maybe that looks like a like a reframing of what intentional living is in your 20s too. You could intentionally uh, allow yourself to experiment and allow yourself to 
go through those awkward realizations and those bumps in the road and, you know, allow yourself to go through the mistakes and do that intentionally. Absolutely. That might remove some of the pressure that you were talking about to kind of nail things and get them right and, and move through with wisdom that that through no fault of your own, you, you just haven't got yet. Another thing that you could do to be intentional, and this is something that I recommend anyone do even outside of their 20s, is, right, we have this notion, you know, there's this concept, right, of a calling, right, when you're mm-hmm. thinking about a career. If you really think about like, what does that word mean, right? It's like being called to do something, right? But if you're looking for a calling, you have to be able to hear it. So much of kind of what's going on in our lives, whether you're 20 or 30 or 40 these days, is we're just consuming other people's ideas and concepts constantly. You know, we're binge watching TV, we're listening to podcasts and multitasking while we're doing other things, right? And we're kind of constantly, we're reading articles online, we're on social media, right? We're sort of, it's like this fire hose of inputs. And a lot of that stuff Um, and you know, no disrespect to you or me who are podcasters, um, but podcasts in particular, I think sometimes sort of horning in on some of this room for mind wandering Mm -hmm. and daydreaming. Mm -hmm. And you need that time. If you want to figure out what you want to do, if you want to figure out who you are, if you want to hear that calling, that time is like sacred, sacred time. You know, that time for reflection is when stuff that they call uh, autobiographical thinking happens, right? It's when creative insights happen. And so that would be a great thing to do intentionally is to carve out time for that. And I think that that, that was perhaps even, you know, adjacent to some of the, the concerns that Lauren had was that having that downtime, you know, taking that downtime when you're in your 20s and everyone is expecting you to hustle and to kind of really work hard to climb the ladder, um, that downtime was something she felt guilty about. But I agree with you 100% that genuine downtime where we shut off that fire hose of inputs and just let ourselves be creative, let ourselves daydream and doodle and wander and, and, and wonder, like, there is so much important stuff that happens in that space. Uh, so you, you also touched on the idea of career, which it was something else that I know Lauren was sort of grappling with, you know, that realization that perhaps the career that she at least began choosing when she was 18 and had to decide what to do at uni is perhaps not exactly what she thought it would be. The the pressure to work hard and get ahead regardless of that realization is something that a lot of people in their 20s feel. Did you come across that sense that you really need to be pushing ahead and forging ahead regardless or were you able to to kind of step back into you know an awareness of it i mean i think when i was in my 20s there really wasn't even this conversation yeah. you know kind of about burnout and about intentionality um and i think that was because let's say my mid to late 20s was when the first iphone came out and the first iphone was really started this tidal wave of things that have kind of led to burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, it was a little bit of a different time then. But what I would like to say or kind of start by saying is that I think that this idea of a career in the way that many of us think about it is in itself a sort of outmoded mm. idea. Um, you know, this notion that you could choose now and then sort of, you know, that's what you'll be doing for the next 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, certainly there are, you know, professions that you train for 
doctor, lawyer, you know, that you will kind of stay in. But even in those professions, the technology is evolving so quickly. And so I think we just, we don't even know what the jobs of the future are right now, right? So if you go back to my 20s and you said, okay, Jocelyn, at 42, this is how you'll be making your living. You will be um, writing an email newsletter. You'll be doing a podcast and you'll be teaching an online course. I would be like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know what those things are. Like, I don't even know what a podcast is, right? I don't, what is an online course? Who does that, right? Like those things literally didn't exist then. Um, and so I think there, there is a sort of constant reinvention, um, which is, you know, is stressful, Mm -hmm. but it can also release some stress in the sense that you have to know right now exactly like who you're going to be when you're 40. And I would add something else to that, which is in terms of kind of that questioning of like, am I doing what I should be doing right now? Like, have I found my passion? Right. And I really like Cal Newport has kind of a great sort of rebuttal for that find your passion idea. Um, And he argues, and I really agree with this, and I've found it incredibly true through personal experience, is this idea that meaning comes through mastery. So that, you know, very frequently you don't love what you're doing right when you start out doing it, you know, there, there, you have to kind of dig into it and develop, uh, some craft and develop some skill and develop a little of expertise. And then meaning can kind of emerge from that skill set. Um, that's not to say, you know, if you feel like, you know, your job is just like awful and completely ill-suited to you, you know, you should stick with it, right? We kind of just talked about that. Like sometimes you, you know, you kind of made a bad call and you just learn from it and you move on. Um, but, you know, there is this interesting thing that happens that I think that meaning really um, arises as you kind of deepen into a certain type of work. And I think there's a fear as well, isn't there? If you set yourself up in your 20s with a particular career trajectory in mind and at some point over those years you're like, ah, I don't know if this is really fulfilling me or I don't know if this is quite in my wheelhouse like I thought it would be. Um, and the fear, I guess, comes in when you think, okay, like what What now? What, what do I do now? Do I go back? Do I study more? Do I, uh, you know, do I, do I dive into a project that's related to something that kind of lights me up a little bit more? Not so much necessarily pursuing this idea of, of finding your passion, you know, your one thing and making that your work, but facing up to that fear, I guess, is potentially something that, that is stopping people from um, asking the questions and allowing themselves to experiment with that as well. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that when you get into those moments of questioning, that's when you kind of have to go inward. Um, And I know, you know, when you were talking with Lauren, you talked about kind of doing a values exploration. Mm. Um, And I think another thing that that one can do when you're kind of, you know, on that, um, say, cusp, you know, of reinvention and you're kind of like, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. But like, where should I go next? I'm not really sure is thinking about, um, you know, kind of doing a little bit of a, uh, let's say, you know, kind of postmortem on, you know, what you're doing now, what you've done before that, Um, you know, thinking about like, okay, really listing out what are the skills that I have, Um, thinking about what you are passionate about or what does bring you meaning, and then thinking about 
what the kind of the market wants, mm-hmm. right? What will people pay you to do or what could you get hired to do? And the intersection of those things, you know, kind of skills, what gives you meaning and what the market wants can kind of help you maybe start to hone in on, you know, what might be an alternate direction. Yeah, that's a really good advice. Actually, I like the idea of a postmortem of, of where you're at now and what's working and what's not. Something else that that Lauren raised with me that I thought was really interesting. She said she often doesn't feel like she deserves the ability to slow down and to live a, a slower life because she hasn't yet earned it through burnout. And I, I thought, I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really, it, it kind of made me really sad, first of all, that, that, you know, it feels like burnout is something that needs to, that everyone needs to go through in order to, to come out the other side and, and make changes. Um, well, I mean, what do you think when you hear that question? It's like, wow, that makes total sense. And it's so interesting because as we just, you know, we're saying, um, you know, you and I are a bit older. And so there's a point of comparison, right? To Mm. like when people didn't live like this. And so, you know, even though we get sucked into it too, we, you know, there is some distant past we can call upon where we're like, this doesn't seem normal, right? But for, you know, people who are in their 20s, this kind of is the, it feels like the normal, right? The new normal. Um, There's very much this concept with younger people in the workforce, as well as, you know, the people who are sort of in charge of them, that you have to pay your dues, right? Um, And so you can get really caught up in that. But what's really interesting to me about this question is that, you know, from my perspective, paying your dues, I mean, yes, it means doing the work, but doing like sort of a certain caliber of work. But what I find interesting about that question is that it's sort of like the overwork itself is how you pay your dues. Right which I think think is kind of messed up. There may be some proving to be done in terms of the caliber of work that you deliver, for sure. Um, Does that have to correlate to, you know, the the amount of time that you spend at work? I don't think that's necessarily Mm. true. Mm. You know, but then I think it's like, okay, well, how do you navigate that, right? And going back to Lauren's question, which was from the top, which is really about like, how do I go about living intentionally. I was reading an interview, I don't know where, recently with a with a young designer who was who was talking about um, sort of this issue. She was talking about work-life balance and how she went about it. Um, and I thought it was really smart. She was talking about, you know, before she even took jobs, she had that in mind. So when she would go into the interview, you know, and they would get to that part of the interview where she would get to ask questions, she would say, you know, well, what is, you know, what's the work-life balance look like at your company? Um, you know, and, and they might say, well, you know, sometimes the designers are working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks. And she would say, well, how frequently is that happening? You know, and mm-hmm. then, you know, often they would kind of look at her like, you know, they, they didn't want to tell her the, the answer or they were sort of offended that she was asking <laughs> the question. Um, you know, and then you would kind of know going in that there's a little bit of a fundamental value misalignment there. Yeah, and I think that the the wider conversation about burnout and work-life balance is starting to happen too. I mean, I, I think the, the changes will be slower to come to you know, government organizations and, and, you know, maybe larger companies. But I think that the fact that it's even happening and that, that we're allowed to have the conversations now in those companies is, is a really good sign um, that it is at least on the radar of people that – 
perhaps there are changes that we can make to the way that we work and that perhaps the people who are suggesting these changes aren't looking for an easy ride. They're actually just looking to be able to enjoy their life as well as their work. Uh, I think that you spoke to something really important as well, which was sort of developing a strong work ethic in your in your 20s so that while you, you can be comfortable and confident knowing that when you show up to work, you are delivering a really high quality of work. And I think that, that to some extent that should help alleviate some of the guilt that comes from switching off over the weekend and from developing boundaries around you know the amount you allow your work to infiltrate your life. Do you have any suggestions for Lauren or for anyone else who has the same kind of questions for developing boundaries around uh, you know, between work and life? Well, there's, I think there's two kinds of boundaries, right? There's the work and life boundaries, but I think even more challenging in your twenties is kind of the setting boundaries at work, mm-hmm. you know, right? That, that kind of like, how do you push back, you know, on your boss or something or your manager yeah. when they're trying to get you to, you know, to work and completely exorbitant amount of hours. I want to address that one first because I think that's one that's really challenging. Um, I think it's challenging for everyone. And I think it's particularly challenging when you're kind of up and coming. Definitely. Um, and my advice on that would be, I, I think we have to kind of acknowledge how much the way we work together has changed. And you know, it used to be, and this kind of goes back to that notion of a career. It used to be that, um, you know, you kind of had maybe one manager and you had sort of a very circumscribed set of responsibilities and that manager kind of knew what you were doing, you know, and your day to day wasn't maybe like so particularly varied. Um, now I think we're in the project model where the project has sort of become the kind of atomic unit of the workplace, if you will. And what's happened is that you know, almost all of us are juggling a bunch of different projects, which often report into different people, different managers. And so that's created this really kind of interesting and challenging situation where you are the only person who knows how much work you're doing. And there's not some like one single manager who really knows how Mm -hmm. much work you're doing. That's and even so if you do have one manager, single manager, they probably still don't know how much work you're doing. So I think the first thing in order to be able to set boundaries and kind of, you know, defend yourself is that you need to really be able to specifically articulate what your workload is. So like, what are, you know, what are you doing, right? So when your manager comes to you and says, hey, like, you know, let's tack this thing on and like, I need it by Friday. You are able to actually say, well, you know, I'm working on this project, uh, you know, which is due the end of next week. I'm working on this other project. And, you know, also I'm working on this third project. And that allows you basically being able to do that articulation of your workload, which is quite difficult to do. Um, you know, it's, I don't want to make it sound easy. Like that's a new thing and it's hard for all of us to do, but I think it's really, really important to be able to have that dialogue with your boss and to set boundaries. Um, but what that allows you to do, because especially when you're in your twenties, the problem is right. Sometimes you feel like you can't say no, right. You don't want to be that person. So then you can kind of use what I call like the qualified yes, which is, um, you know, you say, okay, well, I'm doing this thing, that thing, and the other thing. Like, if you want me to add this fourth thing, like, that's totally fine. But, you know, which one of these other three things, like, do you want to deprioritize? 
So you make mm-hmm. them say no mm-hmm. to something through the ability to have a really clear grasp of what you're working on. Um, and I think that's a really good way to kind of navigate that dynamic because once you kind of show it to them, I mean, not in all cases will they be reasonable, but in many cases they will, if if you can kind of make them understand what the impacts of adding on this or that other thing will be. It's just a, it's a really powerful way to arm yourself with information, isn't it? To, to, to both defend your, the boundaries around, you know, what is reasonable for you and also to open up that conversation with your your boss or with your manager or with your your colleagues about what they think is reasonable as well and i think perhaps you get a a uh, you'll start to get a much better sense of the organization that you work for as well through what happens with those conversations yeah and it's an incredibly valuable skill for anyone at any age and particularly you know, if you ever want to kind of go out on your own, Mm. you know, being independent or running your own business, right, you're going to be juggling lots of different things and not necessarily to a boss, but you're going to need to be able to monitor all those different things and kind of understand how they're unfolding and which projects are resonating and which ones are kind of pulling more energy and and all of that stuff. And what about any suggestions that you might have for Lauren for, uh, for feeling okay about carving out time that is not work time? And then spending it in a way that works for her. So whether it's downtime or, you know, hobbies or, or anything, uh, do you have some suggestions on how to to create those boundaries and then how to defend them? You know, I think a little bit this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the top of just thinking about, well, number one, understanding how powerful it is to have that downtime to do the self-reflection that is utterly essential for evolving as a person, for understanding what the next steps are in your career. In terms of carving out for yourself, I mean, I think if it's something that's a real struggle, I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, you know? I mean, I think it can be even like, let's say you work in uh, a city like I do and you commute home, you take the bus or you take the subway, right? Rather than, um, you know, reading an article or, you know, doing something your Kindle or listening to a podcast, um, instead just having that time kind of be your quiet time, you know? And um, this is something that I actually used to do. I remember I found that if I didn't sort of intake anything on the subway, it was incredibly, I would get like lots of really, really good ideas, mm. you know, and kind of see what arises and mm. see if that's something that's maybe much more fruitful than, um, you know, than taking in someone else's content. Because I, and I think the reason that we do that, right, the reason we are kind of always taking in all of this outside content is that we want to be we want to learn, right? We want to get better. We want to be more prepared. But, you know, going back to that idea that this ability to be prepared, this ability to be intentional really comes out of lived experience, you know, not someone else's experience or them telling you how to do it right the first time. You know, you kind of have to do it yourself. Yeah. I think just reframing that, that downtime, that, that space you're carving out for yourself as, uh, as part of the exploration, you know, reframing that that downtime is not wasted time, is not an opportunity to do something else, but as an opportunity to just give yourself that space and to access your creative sort of flow or to even just, did you say, sort of, you know, autobiographical kind of thinking to, to allow you to, yeah. to decompress and, and think through what's happened during the day and what you've learned and all of that stuff. I think that's a really, a really positive way of reframing that, that time for you 
uh, particularly if you're feeling the pressure to constantly be doing and working and achieving. I think um, it's really important. So Jocelyn, thank you so much for your time. I think that, uh, I know I certainly enjoyed our conversation. I think Lauren will take a lot away from it. But I also think that so much of what we spoke about is relevant to a lot of people, you know, in their 20s and otherwise. Um, So I really appreciate, I really appreciate you being part of it. Yeah, my pleasure. It's always so much fun to talk to you. We're um, so much on the same page. Absolutely. Papa.